I like beginning just taking a deep breath. Um, sometimes we can just move so fast. And uh, you're not here just to kind of listen to a message. And uh, what's God really want to say to you? I believe each one of you need to hear from him today. There's things happening in your life and uh, you need him. And our longing is that in that place you uh, would hear something uh, of the scriptures and the message today that really allow you to hear uh, his voice. We have been praying and asking that God would restore uh, a sense of wonder uh, to us through this Christmas series. And God does that in a variety of ways. If I were to think of a cultural way in which God might want to restore a sense of wonder, uh, because of the kind of culture we live in, we live in a, a culture where like the big wow is what is what often catches people's wonder, right? A, a huge show, a big performance, or something grand or amazing. So if we're to restore a sense of wonder, I, you know, I think of miracles, right? Miracles. Uh, the wonder of a miracle, where the scriptures talk about uh, miracles. The, the word in 1 Corinthians that talks about miracles is uh, workings of power. Workings of powers. It's kind of a double plural, and it's this uh, idea that God shows up in a very powerful way, uh, in a way that, um, you know, whatever human is going on, this like supersedes it. And uh, wouldn't you say if you saw a miracle in a certain way, you'd say, wow, like that restores our sense of wonder uh, in who God is to see his power. We also know that even with miracles, uh, many miss them, right? Often a lot of the miracles really uh, happened to people who were seeking. They were, they were trying to develop faith or they already had faith. And even the miracles that were done in a public forum, a lot of people who didn't have that, uh, they missed them. You remember even at the end of Jesus' life when uh, uh, the religious leaders and teachers said, you know, come down off that cross, then we'll, then we'll believe in you. Like that was the miracle, the, the wow that they wanted to see. And, and yet sometimes even a miracle doesn't even restore uh, our sense uh, of wonder. Uh, but for those who believe, uh, it can. And there are a couple of miracles in the Christmas story that uh, both of them surrounding a birth, uh, Elizabeth's uh, conception in old age uh, after menopause, women cannot have children, uh, but the Holy Spirit enables Elizabeth's body to do um, what nature had disabled. And we see a miracle in the Christmas story there. And the same with uh, Mary's conception of Jesus. Women who are virgins do not have children. And then the Holy Spirit uh, enabled Mary's body to do uh, what nature could not do without the seed of a man. And miracles do restore a sense uh, of wonder. And we see those in the Christmas story. But today we're going to be talking about the wonder of providence. Uh, the wonder of providence. Has anybody used that word in the last 30 days, providence, outside of maybe seeing it, right? It's not a word we talk about or maybe use in our common uh, language every day, but a lot of times we, we hint at it. Well, God has a purpose, right? Uh, we might think that even about things that happen in our own life, and in that way, uh, we're hitting on the idea uh, of providence. 
Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about prophecy. Uh, prophecy is the act of speaking forth, and providence is the act of bringing forth. So prophecy is the act of speaking forth, and we talked about that there are many prophecies surrounding the birth of Christ as well as the life of Christ, and uh, that's uh, the speaking forth piece. But the providence of God is the act of God bringing that forth. He, he brings those uh, things together. Providence, uh, as I was thinking about it, is a miracle stretched out over a very long uh, period of time where the connection of the pieces, the pieces that are coming together, could not be mere coincidence. Rather, they are the orchestration of a sovereign God. That's the idea of providence, these things that happen over this long stretch of time. And God brings the pieces together in a way that you say, oh, I see it. I get it. I see what he was trying to do. As I was thinking about the idea of providence, I was like, how can, I, how can we illustrate uh, the idea of providence, this thing that happens over time? Well, I thought of the movie. Uh, have you seen the movie, Now You See Me? How many of you have seen this movie, Now You See Me? Give me a show of hands. I know how much to explain. <laughs> All right. So a number of you have seen it. It's a popular movie. The synopsis of the movie is that there are these four uh, magicians and they are brought together to pull off a series of magic, magic tricks that took decades to plan and decades to put uh, in place. Uh, the tricks involve people uh, who appear to the viewer to be randomly selected, uh, but they are not. There's a grander plan going on behind the scenes of the series of magic tricks that they do. I'm going to show you a movie clip here in a minute, and the movie clip that you're going to see, uh, the benefactor who was providing all the funding to make these magic tricks happen on this global scale, uh, is a very wealthy man, and he had $140 million in his bank account, and one of the magic tricks was that all of the money from his bank account moved into the audience's bank accounts while they were there watching the show. Now, that's, if I were to do that magic trick, you're not going to get much. So we won't bother uh, with that. Uh, but the scene you're going to see is the after effect after that uh, magic trick. And, and he's, uh, um, Morgan Freeman is trying to explain what's going on to the guy who just lost all of his money. So take a look. Sir? Thank you. What is your role with them? Role? Yes, you seem to know everything about them, what they're going to do, where they're going to be. If it makes you feel any better, this wasn't about you. Please tell me why this was not about me. This is a magic trick, Mr. Tesla. Played out on a global scale. You, sir, are the abracadabra the distraction while they set up the real trick. I was a $140 million distraction? Yes. And that very ego that got you involved with them in the first place is what keeps you from seeing that. You know... I can destroy you. Yes, I do know. Well, you won't. And you won't destroy them. Whatever this grand trick is, it was designed a long time ago. And I believe that what's about to follow is really going to amaze. So I suggest you sit back and enjoy your front row seat. You paid quite a lot of good money for it. 
I love that line. Uh, this is a trick played out on a global scale. It was designed a long, long time ago. And what's going to follow is really going to amaze. Friends, God is working out his plan of redemption on a global scale. And it's the everyday life stuff that is our all-consuming distraction while God is setting up and playing out his redemptive plan in your life. The grand plan was designed a long time ago, and the culmination of it will truly amaze. And as we watch it happen, and we get a front row seat, it's Jesus who paid quite a lot for it. As God works out his plan of redemption and brings uh, all of these uh, pieces together, as we look at a couple of them, uh, we can see them in a couple of different ways. Uh, there are ways in which, as the scripture speaks about these providential things that are precise fulfillments. They're precise fulfillments. The scripture says something and it's fulfilled in that exact way. Uh, then we'll look at another one where it's kind of a patterned fulfillment. Uh, the precise fulfillment where the scriptures declare something and it comes to pass exactly as written. Uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, uh, the first uh, five verses there. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, where he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. You heard that spoken of when we uh, lit the Advent candles. There is a very natural human event that took place, a census. And it was that census, that very natural, that human event that moved Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is an important event when we look at Micah 5.2, which I have on the screen. Here's the prophecy. Here's God speaking it forth. Um, and then in Luke 2, that was the bringing it forth. Uh, in Micah 5.2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you, okay, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so we have the references to the location. Uh, the Messiah will come. The Messiah will come out of Bethlehem. And it's interesting, God protects in a tremendous way uh, the will of man, the, the human movements of men, and yet you also see this providential working of God as he brings this about. There are other precise fulfillments uh, of course, the, uh, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. You see that in Isaiah 7.14. And then even in this passage here in Luke, uh, he, the Messiah would come from the line uh, of David, which is why in Matthew's gospel, he trails all of the lineage of Jesus. And so those are some of the precise fulfillments. 
and God is working out his providential plan. And he's overlaying it with just the normal, very human events of life. And he's not like, you know, shoehorning this thing in. It's like all of those things, they're, they're just playing out. And yet you see on this global scale, God is bringing those pieces together. Not just in precise fulfillments, but also in the patterned ones, pattern fulfillments. Uh, the pattern fulfillments are something that happened in the past that is a pattern for what will happen in the future. Thus, the pattern that took place among God's people in the Old Testament is repeated and seen uh, through Christ. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 uh, to 15. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. While he stayed until the death of Herod, And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That's that last phrase. uh, That is the prophet Hosea. And that's from Hosea 11. uh, And that scripture is also up on the screen here. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You might say, well, is that a specific reference to the Messiah? Now, this is a a patterned fulfillment, and what happened in the life of God's people uh, is is in a patterned way happening in Jesus' life. In the early days of God's people, he sent them to Egypt, right? He sent them to Egypt, and they were spared, weren't they? Because there was a great famine in the land. And so they were protected by God when they went to Egypt. Remember, that's the story of Joseph. And, and God protected them there in Egypt because there was a famine in the land. And repeated is the pattern where Jesus is sent to Egypt and he is protected uh, from the murderous King Herod. After being in Egypt, they became slaves, didn't they? God's people, as they were there, uh, the pharaohs uh, put them into slavery. And God, through Moses, uh, calls them out. And Jesus, as a representative of humanity in slavery to sin, calls us out of bondage. Out of Egypt, I call my son. Out of Egypt, I call my people. Out of Egypt, out of your bondage, Jesus calls you. One scholar says of these pattern kind of fulfillments, they are like a double-sided jigsaw puzzle sitting on a glass table. As the Old Testament pieces are fit together on the top, when you look under it, you see the face of Christ. It looks wonderful to us, doesn't it? But as I think about how might Mary and Joseph have felt about God's providence in the cases that we just read about, how would they have felt Moms, you know that nesting instinct when you're pregnant and you're trying to prepare a home and make a home. And while you're doing that, while you're getting ready, all of a sudden the government decides 
Time to take a census, get some tax money. And you're like, why does this have to happen now? Like life is, life is hard enough as, as God has given us these wonderful promises that they rejoice in. There's also this hardship now. And it's like, like an 80 mile trip. Like this is exact, like this is really what, you know, imagine Joseph, this is what my wife, this is not what my wife needs. Like we need to be stable. We need to be in a place and they have to, how would, how would they have felt about the providence of God in that moment? They didn't pack up and say, oh, wait a minute. We know where the Messiah is supposed to be born and we've got to truck it, our, our 80 miles to get there. No, they didn't, they didn't know it like that. So how would they have seen that as it plays out in their very human and real lives as they're having to, to leave having to deliver. Like, I'm sure when they left Nazareth, they thought, okay, let's book it, right? Let's book it, let's get there and do what we gotta do and get home before this baby comes because everything we need is here, not there. And clearly, they didn't prearrange for a place to stay in Nazareth, right? So they were planning to come back. How do you feel about the providence of God then? And then the midnight dash to Egypt, right? Baby's born. Okay, we're getting settled. We're breathing. There's a bit of a routine. Okay, we're, maybe we'll make it, right? And then another dream. Can't we be done with these dreams? How do they feel then about the providence of God? Getting uprooted again. I love what is said in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. And it's, you know, as these birth narratives take place, um, it says of Mary that she pondered all these things in her heart. All of these providential workings, all of these things that God is fitting together and moving and bringing together, she's pondering them in her heart. What is she pondering? She's pondering the providential workings of God that she's, she's trying to put together. Now, friends, as things happen in our lives, aren't we pondering some of the very same things? We'll lean into that a little bit more in a minute. I want to read to you a story. It's uh, the story of the farmer and his horse. The story of the farmer and his horse. One day, his horse runs away. The farmer's horse runs away. And his neighbor comes over and says to commiserate, I'm so sorry about your horse. And the farmer says, who knows what's good or bad? The neighbor is confused because this is clearly terrible. The horse is the most valuable thing the farmer owns. But the horse comes back the next day and he brings with him 12 feral horses. The neighbor comes back over to celebrate. Congratulations on your great fortune. And the farmer replies again, who knows what's good or bad? And the next day, the farmer's son is taming one of the wild horses and he's thrown and he breaks his leg. The neighbor comes back over. I'm so sorry about your son. And the farmer repeats, who knows what's good or bad? 
Sure enough, the next day, the army comes through their village and is conscripting all able-bodied young men to go fight in war. But the son is spared because of his broken leg. I rewrote a little bit of the Christmas story using that as a layout. Here's the story of a simple man engaged to a simple girl living in an insignificant town. One day, the man's fiancée tells him she is pregnant with someone else's baby. The man's friend comes over to commiserate, saying, I am so sorry about what your fiancée did to you. You must distance yourself from her so she doesn't ruin your reputation. The man replies, who knows what's from God or not? The friend is terribly confused because this is a terrible event. It's just the kind of thing that can ruin your life forever in a small town where nobody forgets. The next day, an angel appears to the man, assuring him that everything his fiancée said was true. The man's friend comes over and said, this is amazing. You have seen an angel and everything is going to be okay. The man replied, who knows what's going to be okay and not okay. A little while later, as the man's wife was very near her delivery date, the government sends a tax notice that requires immediate attention in person in the town of your birth. The man's friend came over and said, oh my gosh, the government, (laughs) all these pointless policies, what a hardship. For now you have to travel 80 miles with your wife who's ready to give birth any day. The man replied, who knows if it's pointless or not. As the man and his wife approached the town, she starts going into labor Unable to find a decent place to deliver, they settle for an innkeeper's barn. Of course, the man's friend finds them and says, this is beneath anyone. Nobody deserves to be born like this. The man replies, who knows what we deserve? After the man and his wife finally get settled and develop a routine with their child, The man had a dream and was told by an angel to go to Egypt. The man's friend said to him, how awful. You keep getting uprooted. Be careful. It can be dangerous to live in a foreign country among people who are not your own. The man replied, who knows what could happen to you staying right where you are. When it comes to the providence of God... Our ideas of what's good and what's bad get all jumbled up. When it comes to the providence of God, perhaps simple judgments where we vote some things up and some things down aren't as helpful as simply voting for God to bring something good out of it. message like this isn't uh, worth much unless we bring it home. And I want to bring it home in, I think, some very ways for us as a church, but for, for me as I think about 
the story of providence in my own life, in my own journey with where our family stands right now. These past couple years have been quite a ride for all of us. Uh, I remember the candidating Sunday when I was here. That weekend, um, before I preached that Sunday, uh, on Friday, my parents told me that my dad had a, uh, a tumor uh, in his lungs. And uh, they didn't want my decision to come here to be affected by what, what was going on. So they kind of held that information until, you know, and, and so I found out then. And uh, since then, over these past couple years, uh, various family members uh, have really walked through some pretty dark health times. And these two years have been filled with uh, real trials for my family. Uh, in a providential way, I can say, wow, well, I used to live three hours away. And by the hand of God, I live 30 minutes away. We're now in the greater Cleveland area where uh, everyone but my sister uh, lives. And it's had a big impact for me to be able to be close to home. And so in a, in a providential way, I say, wow, like these were all things that I had no idea. There were, there were things rolling and happening that I did not know and did not see. I think of it even in the life of my oldest son who will be going off to college next year. When we moved here, he, he, he had loved music then, but he was really just getting rolling. Moving here fast-tracked so much of his uh, love for music and his training, and he got into the band at Brunswick High, and he said, it's going to be his career. The school that he went to uh, back in Dayton was more of uh, a science, technology, math focus. There was no band. There, was, there were no arts at that school. And I see what it's done to him to have all of that, and I say, you know, the providence of God working uh, things out. And those are some areas where it's settled in my spirit. But there's areas where it's not settled. I think, really, God, two years? Like, my work's not done here. Things that I was longing for and dreaming for, it's not done. And I say, okay, God, I see some things settled in your providential plan. There's other things that are unsettled. What do I do with those pieces? What do you do with the pieces that are unsettled, that seem to be flapping in the wind for you? How do we handle those? What's your story? What's your story of God's providence? What are the parts of your story that maybe you can begin to already see God's providential hand in? What are those parts? Those are important parts to hang on to. Because my guess is, as I ask this next question, what are the parts that are unsettled? totally unsettled. You don't know where they fit into the story yet. You don't know how they're working out and playing out in the story of God's redemptive purposes for you in your life. You've heard me talk about the journey. Uh, the journey is a spiritual formation course uh, 
that we, that we run each year, and we're right at the spot in the journey where Providence is playing a big part. Uh, our group just went through, uh, uh, we're into the second stage of that, and this, comes, this quote comes from stage two, session three. Providence can be defined as God working out your life for your good and his glory. Perhaps that part is not an unfamiliar understanding to you. But this next part spoke to me. It is the simple recognition of the hand of God that moves us from randomness to order, from confusion to perseverance, and in time, gratitude. I love that. From confusion, not to understanding, That jump's not made yet. From confusion to perseverance, to waiting for the timetable where things might come into focus a bit. Where you have a sense, oh, I have a sense of how God is using this. Those in the journey are creating a life board. They have... 50 or 60 sticky notes of all of these events throughout the course of their life on a life board. And they're looking at all of these events and saying, how is God moving through all of these events? Are there some patterns or some things God has spoken or done with the pieces that I would have said, maybe like the farmer's friend, this is awful, (laughs) Who knows if it's awful or not? And they're putting these things together in their life. How does the providence of God, how is the providence of God working and playing out in your journey right now? What's happening right now? I want to give you some moments of just quiet. You And God, these are probably the most important moments of the service. What does God want you to see? I'm going to put those two questions I asked you earlier up on the screen. And I want to just give you a few quiet minutes to ponder the providence of God. So take those moments. Then I'll close in prayer and the worship team can come and prepare to lead us in a closing song. Lord, we admit today, we admit today that much of life is confusing. So many of the parts of our lives, we're not sure where the puzzle piece fits. Would you move us to a place of perseverance and watchfulness to the very things that appear to us to be out of control and not managed by any kind of God at all? Where things just seem like they're in a tailspin 
Would you move us from confusion to perseverance? Would you do a miracle of stretching out over the years of our life all of these pieces to bring them to a place where there's a sense of meaning and purpose and direction and awareness of what you're doing through those things? Lord, we see certain pieces where they do make sense, or, or, or at least partially. But we're waiting for a bit more. Help us to hang on. Sometimes we feel like we're hanging on by a thread. Maybe the better thing is, Lord, we know you're hanging on to us. And even as we wrestle these things through, we know in whose hands we are in. Friends, hang in there with God. Hang in there with him as he works out things that appear to have no place or no reason. Hang in there with him. Hang in there with Hope Church as God works out his providential plan for us as his people.